I don't care what anyone says, that song rocks. Man, that song rocks. If I'm driving in my car and that song comes on, gets turned up, gets turned up. No shame. Hashtag no shame. Hashtag no shame. This is one of those songs, man. It's got that, it's got that rhythm to it. I'll tell you what. It's definitely the rhythm. We know that. Because if you guys have heard that song, which actually, believe it or not, was named one of the best songs of 2014, which is shocking, right? One of the best songs of 2014. It has 12 words in it. I'm not joking. There are 12 words in the song, three lines of four words each, and it is just repeated over and over and over again. So we know the rhythm has to make that song because the songwriting, not that impressive, is it? But man, it is. I hear that song and, and I, I crank it up in my radio. I'll admit it. It's the truth. Um, that, that whole terminology that it talks about, turn down for what, it, the whole point is, is they're talking about kind of based off of the idea of turn up. And turn up is kind of a word that our younger uh, kids in the area, you guys understand it, your parents are like, turn what up? But it, the kids, you guys all know a thing when they say turn up. It usually means, it's like, it's especially involved in the party scene. Turn up means like, man, get crazy, party. Sometimes it can be associated with alcohol and with drugs. It gets used that way, but sometimes it isn't. It just, man, it just means like to go crazy at a party, man, turn up. And this whole idea of turn down for what is they're saying, what will we turn down for? And, and the whole point is that's a rhetorical question. Don't worry, there's not an answer. If you're wondering, turn down for what? What is what we turn down for? Nothing. That's the idea. The point of the statement is it's rhetorical. We say, turn down for what? And it means turn down for nothing. I refuse to turn down for any reason. The party must go on. And the church says amen, right? <laughs> turn down for what? In fact... That terminology has become so popular in regards when people just try to tell you, like, not be you or whatever, and you just shout it out. Turn down for what? It means, like, I ain't going to stop being me, right? They actually have an app. I'm not joking. It's the TD4W app. And in case somebody tells you to turn down, you can just pull out your phone, your smartphone, and you strike the app. That's the, that's the entirety of the app. That's it. If you touch it again, that's it. That's all the app has. However, since telling people about it last night, I already know two or three people who did download it. So if you want to get your smartphone, you want to download it, it is free. You can have a TD4W, so if anyone ever tells you turn down, you can just, you just hit it. What's sweet is it doesn't matter how quiet you have your phone, it cranks your volume all the way up when it does it. Just boom! It comes right on. Make sure everyone knows that. The whole idea of this turn down for what, the whole, the whole statement is basically coming from the fact of saying we aren't going to stop. We aren't going to stop celebrating, stop doing this. And all of us, maybe not in that sense where you're like, oh, I don't get that. But all of us have things that we're, we're passionate about. We have things that we care about, we're passionate about. And we celebrate the things that we're passionate about. That's what we do as human beings. The things we care about the most, we are most passionate about. Those are the things that we get together and we celebrate together. And that's kind of what this idea is, is, is when we get together and we celebrate, man, turn up. I'm telling you, some of you, and definitely Christians as a whole, we need to find our party because we lost it somewhere back in like the 70s or the 80s or something. Some of you guys who are in here, some of you girls are in here, you guys lost your party back in like the 70s or 80s, and you need to go back and find it because you have not been fun since then. 
just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you can't have fun, you can't laugh, you can't be a funny person. And people are like, you know, so serious. And it's like, man, some of you guys, you need to go back to wherever you lost it and go find that party, bring it back. You don't necessarily have the drugs and alcohol that goes along with it. But some of you guys, man, you need to turn up every once in a while. You're all sad and downtrodden, man. That's not us. But we need to kind of come back from that. That's one of our core values at Acts Church is victory should be celebrated. We believe the things that are most important for us, man, we want to celebrate. And we want to turn up. We want to get crazy about it and be like, man, this happened. These are important things that we care about. We're passionate about. We want to celebrate them. What I want to look at today, in just the next few minutes, is something that God is passionate about. Something that God is is in in depth passionate about. We can tell because there's celebration associated with it. And I want to read you a few parables. I want to draw a few conclusions I think we can grab from it. And I want to put one thing in your mind before you leave today that maybe is going to stick with you and change how this next week looks for you. So if you guys have Bibles, or you have apps, or whatever you want to follow along, we're going to spend the day in Luke 15. We're going to look at this. Jesus, in Luke 15, he's hanging out and he tells a parable. Now Jesus does this all the time. Jesus tells parables. He tells stories. And they, they lodge in our mind. Instead of just making a statement, Jesus tells a story, and the story kind of unpacks the statement. It also really makes it stick in our head, where all of a sudden, man, we, we, we remember that, that story. We remember what it meant. Instead of just him saying just a line of truth, he'll tell a story with it. And Luke 15 is really interesting because he tells three parables back to back. And we're going to look at all three of these parables. But what's interesting about this is all three of the parables have the same conclusion. They all mean the same thing. And this is the only time we see Jesus do this. He tells parables in alignment, like one after another, very often. But usually they mean a different part of something, or they turn and they kind of answer a different question, or they walk through a a line of these. But this is interesting and unique in the fact that he tells three parables in a row, and all three of them have the exact same point. It's different than anything else we see. So I want to look at this together. We're going to start by looking at Luke 15, 1 through 7. It says this, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. That's Acts Church right there. Okay, guys? If you wonder why the other churches get mad at us, it's because we got a whole bunch of, you know, notorious sinners in here come in and they're like, you're hanging out with that person? They're like, yeah. It's just Bob. He's a cool guy. What's up? You know? I hope it's always said of us that the super religious complain. I say, I can't believe those people are going to that church very well. They said it to Jesus, so I'm happy they say it about us. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, He will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together all his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Wow. He tells a story about this guy who had 99 sheep, and he lost one. and He he goes after, and and he finds it. You know, I'll be completely honest with you. The, the first time I heard this story, I remember I was in, um, in kids' church, I think it was, way back when, and someone told me this story, and they said, if you had, nine, if you had 100 sheep and, and one of them got lost, what would you do? And immediately my response was, I would stay with the 99. One is an acceptable amount of loss. And they said, no, that's not the answer to the story. 
They said that in the Bible, Jesus says that, that the man would leave the 99 and he would go after that one. And I thought, man, that kind of sounds, sounds silly, right? I mean, you, you have to leave the 99 to go find the one? And he says, yeah, you'd leave, the, you'd leave the 99 to go find the one. And he, he tells this parable at the end where he says, and this is like the kingdom of God. And God is more excited for one lost sinner who comes home than 99 who remain righteous. And we're, whoa, okay, that opens up my eyes a little bit about, about what God is celebrating, about what God is passionate about. He's passionate, apparently, about these, these lost people coming home. Apparently, that's a big deal. I mean, leave 99 to go after one. And Jesus, he tells the story, and immediately, very next verse, he jumps into another story. And kind of like as in, like, maybe he's trying to make sure that they get it, right? I mean, I'm going to tell you one story. I'm going to tell you another story again that means the same thing. He goes on to Luke 15, 8 through 10. He says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she'll call her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. In the same way, there's joy in the presence of God, God's angels when, even, when an even one, excuse me, sinner repents. Obviously, Jesus wants to reiterate this point, Right? When you're teaching someone something and you tell them something in application to it and then you tell them it in a different way, you're trying to drive home a point. You don't just tell it once. He says, okay, or uh, let, me, let me say it this way. He tells it again and pushes it. Same application, man. Heaven, heaven rejoices when one thing that's lost, man, comes home. There's joy in the presence of angels, a celebration when one sinner comes home. Obviously, he's trying to make a point, but, but still Jesus, apparently, maybe he figured... They, they hadn't got it yet. And again, he very next verse, boom, jumps into it. It even says at the beginning of Luke 15, 11, it says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus said this to them, told them this story. So apparently, I mean, we can agree, right? As, as people who've looked at the Bible, this is apparently very important, right? Tells them once, let me say it a different way. Let me make sure you guys are getting this. One more time, let me tell you another parable that goes along with this. And he says this, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. It's a good kid, right? Terrific, right? Anybody, if they have kids right now, if they come and say that to you, you'd be like, I will backhand you. (laughs) I don't want to wait until you're dead. Give me my money now, please. Wow. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, the father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to, said to, excuse me, his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Where was this kid just at? Remember? Pig pen, right? Go get the finest robe and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate 
with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Jesus tells a third story. And even says to, to illustrate the point further. Three times, three parables right in a row. I mean, Jesus is, is really trying to make a point here, isn't he? Say it one way. Maybe he kind of said it and he, he threw it out there and, and he, he said, you know, oh, it's, like a, it's like a shepherd with, with the sheep. And, you know, some of the people immediately checked out. They're like, I don't have sheep. This isn't about me. And then he's like, or, you know, it's like money. Everyone has money, right? It's like 10 coins and you lost one. And maybe some people are still just kind of like, you know, face isn't really registering. He's like, okay, maybe, maybe it's like a son who's lost. And he tells the story three different times. You can tell, he, man, he's, he's really trying to hammer away this point. And we see this, and I, I want to draw three conclusions from this that I think we can see that, man, Jesus was trying to hammer home to these people. And I believe that if he was here, he would be trying to hammer home with us too. This is apparently very, very per- important in God's kingdom. This is what I think he's, he's, he's sharing. First and foremost, God is obsessed with lost people. I mean, God, he is obsessed with lost people. I mean, crazy, overwhelming passion for that which is lost. I mean, over and over and over again, he says, man, when something's lost, we go and we look for it. When something isn't here, we had something, now it's lost, we're going to go and we're going to find it. We see, I think it's, it's really, really perfect. Even these three parables, they, they, they work together. We look at it, and it kind of gives us even a better scope of it because we see the, the percentages didn't even matter. If we had two sons and one was lost, if 50% was lost, we go looking for that son. And he says if it, if it was the coin and, and it was just one out of 10, if it was 10% that was lost, man, we, we stop everything and we search for the lost. Or he says, you know, even if you had 100 sheep, and one was lost. Just 1%. Just 1%. And we go searching for that lost. And he's linking this to heaven. He's linking this to God's kingdom. And he's showing, man, God, man, he is obsessed with that which is lost. I mean, all the way down to, if 1%'s missing, my eye is on that 1%. Like with laser focus saying, bring that one home. Bring that one home. This is more joy, more joy for that one that comes home, the 99 who stay. Our God is obsessed with that which is lost. Are our lives focused that same way? Are our lives that obsessed? So our God is obsessed with the lost. Second, nothing, absolutely nothing should stand in the way of the lost becoming found. Nothing should stand in the way of those lost being found and brought home. Nothing. We see that with these stories. These stories illustrate great points in regards to it. We see the fact, when we, we very first, we look, at the, we look at the sheep. And this guy has a hundred sheep and he loses one. And in order to find that one, you know what barrier he needs to push past? Risk. He has to risk 99 in order to find one. It says he leaves 99 in the wilderness. And he goes after one. That the barrier of risk would not stand in the way that we would be willing to risk and push forward. That God says, you'd have to push past that risk and go for that one that's lost. That couldn't be a barrier that would stand in the way. No barrier standing in the way of the lost becoming found. We look at the story of the, of the woman with the coins. For her, that story, it's hard work. Hard work. 
That hard work would not be a barrier to find that which is lost. She loses this one coin, and it even says the, the details of the story. It really spells it out for us. It says that she lights a lamp. This means it's the end of the day. Probably she already worked a full day, right? Come home, make dinner, kids in bed, whatever. All of a sudden, one of the coins are missing. Think, I'll just go to bed. We'll just look for it tomorrow, right? No, stop everything. Stop, stop everything. Light a lamp. Turn over all the furniture, sweep every corner of the house. Hard work is not a barrier that should stand in the way of the lost becoming found. And we would push through. We would work hard. Or with the lost son, the barrier that was there that had to be pushed through was hope. Hope. You know, we read this story that the lost son, I've, I've, I've read it hundreds of times, hundreds of times. And we can just read through a story like that, can't we? Where it's like, okay, give me my money. I left. I've spent it all. Okay, I come home. But you read the details of the story. Did you notice it said that he went to a distant land? A distant land. I mean, a distant land takes a long time to get to now. Take a very long time to get to back then, right? He traveled to a distant land. And he spent his entire inheritance... That means there's probably a little bit of time lag in this. Like, when, when you read it and you actually think about it, you know what would make more sense is, like, this kid maybe came to his dad when he was, like, 18 years old. You know what I mean? Young buck, just finished up school, thinks, I know everything. Give me my money now, dad. And he disappears. And maybe where the story comes around is maybe when he hits about 28, 29, 30. He goes and he lives in a distant land. He has those, those fun 20-somethings where he parties and he has a good time. And all of a sudden, when he's getting to be a little bit more towards being a man and actually settling down, the famine hits and he loses everything. and He has to come home to dad. And we can read the story so quick and not catch that. And for this dad, the barrier was hope. I don't think this happened on a Monday and the kid came home on a Friday. I think we're talking about a story that took years and years and years. And it's interesting because the story says that when when the son was still far away, the dad saw him and ran to him. You know what I think that means? I think it means that that dad looked at the horizon every day. I think that every day, maybe it was in the morning when he got up and he'd go out to his farm, or maybe it was at the end of the day when he finished his chores, that he would stop and he would just scan the horizon. And he would look for that dot of his sun rising over the horizon and say, is today going to be the day? Is today going to be the day that my lost son comes home? And it took hope. Who knows how many years of every day thinking, will today be the day? And day after day after day, it getting harder and harder and harder to believe. But hope should never stand in the way. Hope would never stand in the way of the lost being found, excuse me. Are we willing to do these things? We talk about that which is lost. Those who have not met Jesus. Those who have not heard the truth about the good news of Christ. Man, are we willing to risk? As a church like this, are we willing to risk this to say we're still focused on those who aren't here? Us who are trying to be servants of Christ. Are we willing to put in the hard work to say I'm tired, I'm exhausted. But hard work should never stand in the way of that lost being found. And for us, maybe it's that person, that friend, that coworker, that family member that seems like that is impossible for them to come home. Hard to have hope. So we know our God is obsessed with lost people. 
We know that nothing should stand in the way of finding the lost. Third, the proper reaction to the lost becoming found is celebration. The proper and appropriate reaction to lost becoming found is celebration. These three stories are to give us a peek into heaven. Every time he ties this back to the kingdom of God, in every single one of them, when the guy brings the, the lamb home, or when the woman finds her coin, or when the son receives, or when, excuse me, when the father receives his son, they say, Stop everything, call our neighbors, call our friends, we're going to have a party to celebrate. And he doesn't just do this in reaction to how we should. He says, this is how heaven is. When someone comes home, he says, everything stops. And it's just, it's a party to say, man, we celebrate the fact that these lost souls have come home. Just like in our own lives, we celebrate when our family grows, don't we? Those are usually the biggest celebrations we have. When someone has a baby, man, a celebration. When someone gets married and our family increases, we have a big celebration. We see it in our own lives. When something is born into a family and our family grows, we host the biggest celebrations we do in our life. The very same for this. That's what he's saying. Man, when when the lost come home, a celebration ensues. We should definitely be celebrating as a family, as a church, when we see the lost become found. Nothing Nothing should get us more exciting. Nothing should get us more amped up. Nothing should get us more passionate than when we see those who are lost coming home. Those who are lost coming to be found. Let me tell you, last week, my mother finished up her four-letter word series. We had two people give their life to Jesus at the end of the week. Yeah, that's exciting. That's worth clapping for. Those are the things that we're actually passionate about. We say, yes, people's lives are being changed. They heard this. They realized, I need to come home. And all of a sudden, it connected. And that should be the thing we're most passionate about. So three takeaways, but but one big conclusion that I need you to lodge in your brain, something that I need you to think about, something that I want to chase you out of here with. If there is a party in heaven that takes place every time a lost sinner comes home, then we are heaven's DJs. We are are heaven's DJs. We are the one providing the beats. We are the one providing the party. We are the ones who are cranking up the music every time we push to bring a lost sinner home. We're the DJ. It's our responsibility to keep the party going in heaven. Each time we bring a lost soul home, it's like we slap the party button in heaven and the lights come down and the, the lights come up and everyone just starts shouting and, you know, turn down for what comes on and they're all cheering. Man, a lost sinner has come home. It is our job to keep the party thumping. We cannot let anything turn us down. Turn down for what? I mean, turn down for What? Are you being a good DJ for heaven? You. Are you being a good DJ for heaven? What kind of tracks are you playing? What are you spinning? Is it the good news or is it the same thing the world's spinning? Romans 10, 13 through 17. It says this, and 17 especially is what we're going to hammer on. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they've never heard the truth about him? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? 
And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? And that is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. But not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? Verse 17, So faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. What kind of tracks are you playing? Are you playing the good news about Christ? Or are you just playing the same garbage the world's playing? I mean, are you spinning in your conversations? Are you spinning in your life, in your interactions with people? Are you spinning the track of, of the good news of Christ? So people who meet you, who talk to you, who, who have interactions with you, man, they're hearing it. They're hearing it and they're having an opportunity to engage with the good news to change their life. Second, are you promoting the club? I mean, a good DJ, that's what they do, man. They go and they promote the club. They go out and they're inviting everybody. They're telling them, you got to come to the club this weekend. You got to come out there. You got to check it out. I'm going to be spinning at this time. This other guy's going to be, it's going to be great. I'm telling you, if you're coming, you're going to be so happy you did. If you miss it, oh, you're going you're to be so disappointed. I know the analogy doesn't work perfectly, but who are you inviting to come check out the club? I mean, who are you inviting? Who are you telling you need to come experience this? You need to see this. I was just talking to a guy the other day, and uh, he was talking about a previous church and just some of their interactions, and I, I heard this statement, and I thought it's perfect. It's so Acts Church. And he said, one of the things that I was always encouraged to do is to be recklessly invitational. I like that. Recklessly invitational. Man, never pressurizing, but always welcoming. Sure, it might be awkward sometimes, but I mean, to never hold back when I have that nudge to feel like I should invite them, I invite them. I step out, even if sometimes it's a little reckless, it's a little shaky. Man, I, I go for it. I can tell you, it's not a coincidence that right now you are either sitting on or next to you is an invite to next week's services. There's an invite. I'm telling you next week for Easter weekend, one, there are people in your life who will come with you next weekend who will never come with you any other day this next year. I don't know why, but there is something in people that very often when you say, would you come Easter weekend, there's something in them that clicks and they say yes. I honestly don't know why, but I've heard it time and time and time again. I've invited them a hundred times. I invite them to Easter weekend. They said yes. There are people in your life who will say yes to you this weekend that will never say yes to you the whole rest of the year. This is your shot. Not only that, but as far as, as, as you in, in connecting with these people, okay, I'm telling you, next week, God has, has already revealed something amazing. I'm telling you, I am excited out of my mind for next week's message. I went back and I just started praying and looking over, God, what do you want me to speak on Easter? What do you want me to speak? And I saw something I had never seen before and it jumped off the pages and I believe it is something so, so important for people to hear. We called it, it's a skeptic's Easter. Prove it. It's a skeptic's Easter. For all those people, you have friends who say, yeah, I just don't really know. I'm just kind of skeptical about it. I mean, someone would have to really prove it to me. Say, perfect, come this Easter. This Easter, we want to ask you, are there enough evidences for you to just even doubt your doubt? Would you doubt the doubt that you have? I say, well, maybe. Man, I I invite somebody. Have that courage to do it. I'm telling you, next weekend, next weekend, this message is going to change people's lives. This message is going to be something. I can, I can feel it because when God revealed it, I'm like, this is going to be important. This is going to be a game changer. This is going to be a life changer. Do you need to change your tone? Are you inviting people to the club? 
Or are you just letting him walk past you? I'm telling you this next week, it's important. I want you to do, let, let's do real application of this right now, okay? Real application. Everyone, real quick, shut your eyes for me. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Now, keep them closed. Who needs to come with you next week? Who needs to come with you next week? You, right now, you, you, just, you just heard a name or you just saw a face. If not, give it a second. Who needs to come with you next week? You hear the name? Do you see the face? Maybe it's one or two. Okay, now open your eyes. Write down that name right now. Or open up a text bubble right now. And put down that name because if God just revealed them to you, that's the person you need to invite. Oh, Cameron, recklessly invitational. If God just revealed that to you, I'm going to pray that you are haunted if you don't take and invite that person. That's not a joke. Today, when you go home, you say, I'm going to send that person a text. Tomorrow, you say, at work, when I go back, I'm inviting that person. I'm putting something in their hand. This week, I'm going to message them on Facebook. I am not going to let this slip through my hands. If God just showed you something, that's who you're supposed to invite. Invite them. Don't let it slip past. Do not be one of those people who God speaks to you and you stop listening to him. Because let me tell you, if you won't listen to him in those small little details like that, don't ever ask him to say anything bigger to you. Those are those smallest details that he begins to speak. You say, God, who would you want? He gives you a name. Act on it. When he sees you're acting on what he's giving you, he's going to start talking to you even more. Stop. Pray. Write down. Invite. Just that simple. This next week, recklessly invitational. Some of you have been thinking about people that you know you've needed to invite for weeks and you've been too afraid or you've just been not confident enough. You need to this week. This week you need to go and you need to invite them. Like I said, not pressurizing, but welcoming. I don't know if you have any plans, but I would love to have you join me for Easter. In fact, I'd love to go to Easter services with you. I'd pick you up. Let's go out for dinner afterwards. Let's have lunch afterwards on Sunday. Let's go on Saturday night and let's go out and have dinner afterwards. You invite that person and say, I, I think you need to check this out. Maybe if they shoot you down, maybe you come back with them and you just say, you know what, that's, that's totally cool. I just did want to share with you though. I just ask God if there's anybody who needs to hear what's going to happen on Sunday and your name came to my mind. I'm not saying that in a weird way. I'm just saying he brought you up and I think maybe God has something for you there this Saturday, this Sunday. I think maybe something's waiting for you. Who do you need to invite? We, as the church, are heaven's DJ. And it is our job to not let the party stop. It is our job to keep the party thumping day after day after day, week after week, year after year. Since we started a little under five years ago, when we started our, our services, this September will actually be five years that we've been doing services, we have seen 196 people raise their hand for salvation. That's exciting, right? Yes. And I wholeheartedly believe that this Easter we're going to blow past 200 and we're going to keep pushing forward and say 196 is awesome, but we're not done. We're not going to let the party drop off. We're not going to let this happen. We're not going to all of a sudden just have some party, party, party. What happened? Oh, Acts Church got bored. They're not telling anyone about Jesus anymore. Everyone's all just too tired and they're too lame and they don't want to invite anybody. No, man. 
Turn down for what? I mean, turn down for what? It is our job to keep the party going. It is our job. The answer to that, to that question, turn down for what, is nothing, right? Nothing. I want you to say it with me real quick. Turn down for what? Nothing. Turn down for what? Nothing. Okay, perfect. Now stand up with me real quick. Stand up with me real quick. Here's the deal. Turn down for what? Nothing. Exactly. What would we possibly turn down for? Why would we step back away from this? If you've experienced salvation, why would you not push in and say, I don't know what you're doing this next weekend, but you need to come along with me? Why would you not grab those invites and invite somebody? Maybe you invite a stranger on the street and say, I don't know you, but I'm telling you, if you come this next week, God has something to say to you. What would we turn down for? Nothing. 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 Will we turn down for ridicule because we're afraid that people would make fun of us? No. No, because we know in John 15, Jesus says, they'll hate you, but they hated me first. Will we turn down because we're afraid of the world, that we're fearful? No, because we know in Matthew 28, Jesus says, I'll be with you until the end of the age. Will we turn down because we get too distracted by the world and the thing around us? Absolutely not. Because in Hebrews 11, it says that I throw off every weight that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles so I might run the race marked out ahead of me with perseverance. No. No. Turn down for what? Nothing. Turn down for what? Nothing. Nothing. Acts Church, we will turn down for nothing. This next week, you are going to go and you are going to invite people. And next week, we're going to have more people that can fit in this gym. And we're going to preach a message about Jesus and people are going to give their lives to him. And the party in heaven is going to start bumping again next Sunday, next Saturday. Yes? Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you, God, that we serve such an active and living God. We thank you that we serve a God who is obsessed about the lost. And we ask that you would fire our hearts that exact same way. That this very next week, that today perhaps, we walk out of here and we say, I know who you've asked me to invite, Jesus, and I will invite them. I will be recklessly invitational if necessary because next week I believe that you have something special that's going to change eternities in this place. God, we thank you so much for what an awesome God you are. Fire us up. Send us out to change this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.